This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, Episode 10. You show up every day, you work, you improve. And there's, you know, there's very few areas of life where you can show so cleanly how that works. Yeah. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, NSCA Head Strength and Conditioning Coach, Scott Caulfield. With me today on the show, my guest, Jim Davis, staff and student wellness coordinator at New Trier High School outside of Chicago, Illinois, also director of the Illinois High School Powerlifting Association and founder of the Good Athlete Project. Jim, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me. Really excited that you've been here. You've uh, actually been here at NSCA headquarters all day long. We've Mm -hmm. been talking shop, talking about some really cool stuff that I think uh, people on the show we're going to be excited to hear about. Um, I'm going to talk real quick about your background. So you've got two master's degrees. I do. You've got the first one was in writing and poetry. Second one, human development and psychology with a focus in cognitive neuroscience. That's exactly Uh, right. This does not sound like your typical strength coach. Um, Talk to me a little bit about... um, your educational background and how it's influencing your what you're doing and hmm. with your high school athletes. Absolutely, yeah. I, you know, I get that question a lot because it's probably not the typical resume people see uh, in this field, at least. Um, I think professionally, I was given advice a long time ago uh, in terms of like, you know, professional, what career path to choose, et cetera. And that was, it was very simply chase the work that you're willing to do. And I think I took that into my academic life as well. So like, okay, the work I was willing to do early on was play football. I like to play sports. I like to paint pictures. I like to be social. All those things were things I enjoyed. So I did them. Um, actually, we didn't mention, but in my undergrad, uh, my, my major was studio art. So I actually had a painting focus in undergrad with a sports administration minor. And the logic was very simple. It was like, if I'm going to spend all this time, you know, four years and countless hours studying, I want to enjoy the thing that I'm pursuing. So I did that in undergrad. And then I went on to a master's degree and um, rationalized it essentially in that way. You know, this is something I'm super interested in. Uh, I actually found poetry. We can get into the story later, maybe. But while I was traveling, playing football in Ireland and Europe, I like came across it and fell in love with it, and came back and realized that this was something I wanted to know more about. Um, and I figured, I guess, again, chase the work you're willing to do. I was willing to spend that time and do it in addition to my job. Also, I figured worst case scenario, I'm always interested in like what's the bottom of this thing if it doesn't work. Right. Um, you know, to pick up a degree from a place like Northwestern and interact with good people there and come out the backside potentially better able to communicate. You know, essentially, it's a writing degree got to read and write and articulate your thoughts to people so uh that made sense to me um and yeah and then and then the, the next pursuit was equally as natural you know the um the next step the human development stuff um i had sort of a kind of i guess a pet hobby as weird as that sounds like on the on the on the weekends, I would literally, I would research cognitive neuroscience. I was interested in it from a number of angles and for a number of reasons. And eventually I got to the point where I said, uh, I, I think I know a little bit about this, or I, I know a lot about this, but I need to know, I, excuse me, I don't know what it is that I don't know. So for that reason, I need to go um, into some sort of higher learning. And I decided to throw my hat in the ring at a, at a pretty cool place, was lucky enough to get in. And then 
and then uh, just kept pursuing the work. Yeah. yeah, you don't know what you don't know. That's a great point. And, I, and <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, and oh, I didn't mention. Yeah, that master's just happened to be from Harvard University. So I That's mean, right. uh, going back to school, right mm-hmm. after you've already been working, mm-hmm. getting into Harvard for a master's program, pretty big accomplishment. How hard was how hard was that work? that you had to do there too while I was there yeah Hmm. yeah um okay so when I first got there and this is gonna sound bold when I first got there I was like holy cow this is like a vacation honestly and no I hope if anyone that I know from out there any of my professors are listening I hope they don't uh take that the wrong way but coming from the world of strength so like my the previous masters uh, like you mentioned uh Nutria is just outside of Chicago Northwestern is as well. So I was able to, I was essentially um, working full time and in the strength world, that means I was at school at six o'clock. I was there late nights, uh, a couple nights a week, I would get off early and drive over um, to Evanston where Northwestern's located. And, and then on the weekends, I'd be hammering out homework and programming for the week, et cetera, et cetera. So by the time I got to, by the time I uh, essentially paused my work and went as to be a student full-time I was like what do I do with the rest of this yeah, time yeah, you know coming yeah. from the, the yeah. working world work plus education just being a student felt amazing yeah um, I will say that the the caliber of work being produced out there is is high so I think like the difficulty um, was self-imposed in part um, but also kind of peer imposed, you know, you can't in a place like that, you go have a, have a cup of coffee and it's like a mind bending, life changing conversation that might be extreme, but sure. there's at least very interesting ideas floating around all the time. So sure. yeah, uh, it's, it was great. That's a great experience. So I'm going to take it back again a little bit to talk about, you know, being a high school strength coach, but you've also, uh, you're the first strength coach at new tier and you've kind of built this program from nothing. So, um, obviously, uh, we, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of growth in high school, but I think what you've done there especially is really going to be interesting to a lot of the people listening. So don't tell us about like how you first got involved there and kind of what it's the growth of that program since then. Okay. Yeah. I, so how I first got involved, I went there. So that would that'd be a start. <laughs> um, I went to Nutrier um, and then I went away to I, my undergraduate was at Knox College and I was playing football there and coaching football back in Nutrier every off, you know, every summer. So I'd go play, I'd lift, I'd come back and be a coach and show them pretty much everything that I had learned, you know, uh, in my year away. After I did that for a while, I had a de- uh, I'm, I'm proud of my body of work at Knox College. It was good enough to get me some opportunities to play professional football on a lower level. I played indoor arena type football and then played over uh, in Europe for a couple of years and, and had a really good time over there. We won a couple of championships and made a lot of friends and it was great. Um, but I was doing the same thing. I, I, I would coach the football season. I would be there for the beginning of an off season. And before that, there was none, you know, nothing truly programmed. Uh, and then get on a plane and, and go fly and play a season just to come back and do it all again. So I've kind of, I've been there really since I was like a teenager in some capacity or other. It was the final, for the final year of my football career. In fact, the reason I stopped playing football was because one of my mentors, Randy Obremt, who was the AD at the time, essentially said, "Listen, we see what you're doing. We appreciate it. I, you know, he was supportive in, in every way he could be. He said, I love this football thing you're doing, but there's going to be an opportunity here. You know, we see what you're doing with the kids in terms of like the strength and conditioning stuff. We like it. Um, maybe there's a, an opportunity to make this a, a year-round thing." Um, and that was and that was essentially the end of my football career, 
unfortunately, because I still have the itch every now and then. Um, But the beginning of something like amazing, something that I'm not sure I could have even seen um, at the beginning there. Because in the beginning we had, it was me in a room with 80 kids. And it was essentially the football team, a handful of wrestlers, and literally like a a little desk, like a one that I pulled in from the hallway. Um, And that has turned into a program where we now serve 1,200 students. We have a part-time staff of eight, uh, and we're doing things that are in line with some of the better places that I've had, you know, been able to see. Yeah. You know, we, we walk, we go all over the place, uh, scouting out, trying to make sure the things that we're doing are helping kids. Um, and I'm pretty proud of how our program stacks up. Yeah, that's exciting. And tell yeah. me, talk to me a little bit. I, we were talking about this earlier today. Um, some of the funding that you're able to do, you know, through the school and through other mm-hmm. resources that are allowing you to have eight people helping you out. Right. Totally, and I know that's that it's a really hard thing to replicate, but the, you know, I say that on the service because I, I'm not totally convinced that it is. I think the hard part is not the finance. The hard part is selling an idea to people and like a, and a common cause and a mission. Because the truth is like, I'm very lucky to have a full-time position at the school, but I'm the only one on staff that does. So the rest of our, our people are working, um, you know, essentially hourly wage positions. Um, most, you know, we, and we have to, you know, there are different ways that schools are funded, but perhaps like an intramural budget or a student activities budget or whatever it might be. Um, you know, one of our, you know, you met a coach of ours, Alex Nadalna. He's a, he's a fantastic coach. He's on our staff. He's also the co-head of our powerlifting club, you know, so student activities, he's involved in that way. And, you know, and no one's getting rich on it. And that's, that's kind of the idea, right? And people stick around because they care about what we're doing. They believe in the way that we're doing it. Uh, they see the progress in students and yeah, and they, and they enjoy it. That's really the thing. And that's, I mean, that's the biggest part of the whole thing, if you think about it. I mean, I mentioned our, our growth from 80 to 1,200. Uh, you know, it's an optional participation. You know, they're not getting a grade on this. They don't show up because they want an A. They show up because they believe in what we're doing. And that's a special thing to realize. Yeah. And not all of these kids are, uh, you know, scholarship level athletes, right? No. Yeah. These are kids that yeah. may not have had any interest in this stuff before. And you guys have Absolutely. convinced them of why it's a benefit and what they totally. get out of it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I think I always sort of cringe when I hear people talking about, you know, I'm really happy when our kids can can get money to go play, can be a, can get scholarships. But the truth is, I don't I don't know what it, the percentage is, but I have to imagine it's under 1% of our uh, it's got to be at least that, you know, probably even smaller. Under 1% of our entire athletic population will get money to go play. And I would assume, just based on our clientele and the kind of schools of nutrients, it's got to be, what, 15% or fewer go on to play college at any level. Anyway, they have, they have multiple interests and it's not always athletics. But the, what we really try to instill in people is that, like, it's not about the end game. Right? We're not doing this because there's a pro contract sitting out there for you. Right. We're doing this because there's so many other life lessons to learn from this. Forget about like the easiest and most obvious one is that we're in the middle of a multi-billion dollar obesity epidemic. So promoting health and wellness in a community, that on its own is worthwhile. Um, and then, you know, do you want to have ses- success in this se- season that's like, that you're staring into right now? 
great. But we also try to reframe that and say, okay, what if the season that uh, you're staring into doesn't go the way you wanted it to? What if you don't even make the team? What are the other sort of unsung benefits of this program? And if you can get people to like buy into that idea, you know, there's value in consistency. There's value in showing up every day. Uh, you'll see progress. That's that's one of the things I love. Stop me if I go off on a tangent. I love to talk. But uh, but that one of the things I love most about strength and conditioning is that, that in all of education, there's probably no more clear a demonstration of, you know, you put in this much work and you see something on the back end. You know, there's it's, it's complex because nutrition is a thing and rest and recovery and all those things. But really, it's like you show up every day, you work, you improve. And there's, you know, there's very few areas of life where you can show so cleanly how that works. Yeah, yeah. And we were talking about this earlier too, like all of the other life lessons, and you just alluded mm-hmm. to it once before, but like building healthy relationships, mm-hmm. learning how to deal with stress or anger or whatever that might be. And as a high school strength coach, I mean, you have, if you have these kids for the four years you were saying earlier, nine mm-hmm. months, four days a week, nine months a year, four right. years. Right. I mean, talk about, so t- maybe talk about a little bit like, you know, some of those life lessons that you're finding that you're able to um, really instill in people and some of the, you know. Yeah. Um, well, we hope that we're instilling them regularly and, and a lot of them are, are exactly in line with what you said. We want to, you know, if. I'm a, I started as a football player. I found strength and conditioning through football. I was a football player first. And looking back, I realized that, um, you know, the true character, not the true character development, but a massive component of the character development doesn't, you know, it, it happens in the nine, like you said, nine months, four days a week for nine months for four years. That's your high school strength career. Um, you know, I, I didn't build character during doubles, right? That's when you show it off. That's when, like, it's either there by that point or it's not. Um, And if it's not, you're probably in trouble uh, going through two-a-day practices. Um, But I think, you know, I think it's important for every strength coach to realize the potential there, right? And and that's actually in the build of our program. Eventually, I got to a point where I was like, people keep showing up. They seem to be listening to what I'm saying. I better be talking about more than just biceps. You know, I've got to do, like, there's there's more to this. I think this, this stress and anger, um, how to frame he- like healthy relationships to competition is a huge thing that we yeah. talk about. Um, relationships with other people in the room is huge. There are, you know, there's so many, no, I don't know if we want to go down this road quite yet, but like, you know, sports gone wrong, that's like a headline every day, essentially. In right. yeah. sports gone right, that's something that doesn't make headlines, but it's something that we're pretty heavily involved in. Um, an example, and I hope this doesn't sound too lame, but one example of what we do now that I've now that I've really become comfortable in this idea, um, we're actually deliberately trying to coach for kindness, which is may sound like a silly thing, but we open up every day. We start our uh, sessions with a very simple idea. First of all, we start fast. So get in the room, like pay attention, be quiet. I mean, we're on point too. We're, we're, we try to be very businesslike. Get in the room, find a place where you can see the board, uh, be quiet. We're gonna have like our opening address. And before we even go into like what the workout's gonna look like, the competitive elements, imagine your opponent at the door, whatever sort of motivation you wanna give them, we, we say we have three people at least, volunteer something they have done for someone else between the last time we saw them and now, and it could be, and these are like random acts of kindness, and it could be like, like held the door for someone who had a bunch of groceries. It could have been, you know, whatever it might have been. 
because uh, we really do want to highlight the fact that, listen, we're going to turn up, once we get into this, we're going to turn up the volume and we are going to compete at a pace and intensity that's going to help everyone in the room re- reach their potential. And we think that's a state championship potential, regardless of sport. Yeah. So we're into that idea, but we also want people to make sure that they know that you can be like that and you can be a good human being and kind to other people. Those things are not mutually exclusive. In fact, I think, I mean, the history of sports, the history of sports is riddled with examples of it being counter to that. You know, John Wooden, if you can combine toughness and competitive edge and all that stuff with um, with being kind and caring and genuinely investing in your players, I mean, as if you needed it, there's also, there's like a cell, like it, it makes you better at basketball. It makes you have a better football team. It makes you better at whatever you might uh, participate in. So yeah. I'm fully sold on that. Yeah, no, I love that. And uh, it also makes me think, so like the whole sports gone wrong thing, I have a, I have a, I have a coaching philosophy talk that I do and I talk about uh, mentors and like mentorship and also like what 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 happens when you have a bad mentor or someone who doesn't mm-hmm. reflect positive yeah. qualities and like when you think about from a coaching education standpoint or what you know if we're trying to teach strength coaches to be better coaches and we talk about oh you should have this coaching philosophy but nobody really knows what that means right mm-hmm. and then I think and this is my coaching philosophy t- soapbox that there's a coaching philosophy and training philosophy mm-hmm, a lot of totally. times that word is just thrown around um ambiguously people really just don't they they really when they say philosophy just are like what what do you think about this it's not philosophical at all and right. so that's my soapbox i won't go off on that no, tangent like but <laughs> I like, that like a, lot. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we talked about and we're going to get into eventually too with some of the social theory lens and like preparing coaches or athletes to be better human beings there's there's definitely more than right just what it is about training that you're there to do we're not just there to smash weights but um so i'm going to go on to our i I feel like i learned more from you today than i've learned in like the last month too (laughs) talking about this cognitive neuroscience well i appreciate that so my uh my brain is on overload today but um I do want to talk about it because a lot of people that are probably listening to this have read or heard of the book Spark. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this stuff that you guys are doing um, is very similar, and that was the book by John Rady. Um, same thing, uh, talking about neurotransmitters and neurotrophins. So, uh, just talk to us a little bit about why, you know, what what this whole cognitive neuroscience thing means to fitness and exercise. Okay. Yeah, so I think I have a few bold claims to make in this field. Um, I think exercise-induced neural enhancement, specifically, which is uh, the thing that we talked about most today, um, is is what will change education for the better. Ultimately, once it's fully adopted and, and practitioners are, understand how how to. Uh, implement it, and I think it's going to do things like it's going to save physical education. For example, there are only six states left, unless one has dropped off since I last researched it, um, that still mandate physical education. I'm lucky to work in a state that has one of them. I am not a physical educator. I do not have those credentials, um, but I fully support uh, physical education when it's done correctly. And again, at Nutrier, we're lucky to have just a host of people who are, uh, I mean, top of their field. They're fantastic. Um, but I think it, so exercise-induced neural enhancement, essentially in, in the way that I've run, that we've run our studies, and I'm, I'm currently involved in, in 
a couple studies in this field, um, we're defining exercise as stimulating the human organism to a certain level over a certain duration. So essentially, if we get the human body to perform at a certain level, and it's all relative to existing fitness, there's no fitness prerequisite. So I'll get my body to a certain heart rate level and maintain it uh, through a variety of, of well-designed stimuli uh, for about 20 minutes. And we're expecting on the backside of that to see really incredible results. And before I suggest what those might be, I will say this is differentiated. And this is where I, this conversation starts in certain circles. Uh, I'm not talking about two or three minute brain breaks. Not that there's anything wrong with those. And I'm also not talking about, you know, two and a half hour cross country practice. I think on both, you know, both of those things do potentially positive things to the body and brain, but not the same as what I'm talking about and not what made uh, Dr. Rady's work so popular. Uh, so the idea is to stimulate the production of neurotransmitters and neurotrophins in the brain to a level that allows for what we hope um, greater uh, learning state, meaning two things. One, improved affect, so mood, focus, and wakefulness are improved. And two, these the neurotrophins, that's where they kick in, actual structural enhancement and essentially creating uh, greater potential for learning, especially because these things are appearing in things that some of the uh, listeners might be familiar with the hippocampus, but essentially the place in the brain where memory is stored is where this, uh, this, some of these neurotrophins are appearing most readily. And I mean, the potential from there is massive if we use it correctly. Yeah, and then, I mean, again, you talked about those three big, big hitters, better mood, more focus, more wake. I mean, yeah. I don't see who, who that doesn't appeal to, right? I think that's an important part that you mentioned earlier is that um, you're relying on you know, professionals like the certified strength coaches who are listening to this as right. being the experts in implementing it, however necessary. You guys are giving them kind of the big picture or just a general template or a general mm -hmm. idea. But we're really going to hope that the CSCS certified people out there in the field are the ones that are going to be implementing this and making a change. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. The experts are already out there, right? And, but it's all about, you know, and this is what I say to department heads and athletic directors. I say, what, like, what are your goals and does your behavior match them? If your goal is to, you know, create the best experience possible for your students, um, don't have them sit in a, in a desk for nine hours a day. Have them try a little bit of this. And I have good news. The experts are already on campus, right? They're already there. You know, not only is that a benefit to the schools, but it's a benefit to the profession too. Yeah. You know, um, how to make yourself super valuable. Like, you know, I love it. When we have kids, you know, we just got back from powerlifting nationals and we had some kids that moved serious weight and that's awesome. Yeah. And it's also not gonna be, it's not gonna keep my job for me. Right. You know what right. I mean? You have to, I think there's so much to be, uh, so much service to be provided to the greater student body using education, excuse me, using uh, exercise and strength and conditioning as an educational tool yeah. that, I mean, I think it can be absolutely invaluable. Yeah. We just have to be very, we have to be very intentional about how we use it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And all right, talking about, uh, using it as an educational tool, you brought up this ACT MVP earlier. Yeah. Which, <laughs> yep. And uh, again, I'm not a, that versed in the ACT, but it, it's a really interesting thing when I hear that you're, that you're seeing a difference. So tell, talk about that real quick. Yeah, that is a, another unpublished study, but, uh, but it will be hopefully, and we're really excited. We're actually around the Chicago area, we've recruited students into what we think is like the best form version of a study session around. Uh, we call it the ACMVP for two reasons. One, the sports angle, I think attracts more people to it than normally would. We're looking at 
we want to help everybody, but we're definitely looking at the kid who wouldn't show up for an eight-week ACT study session, but might show up to hang out and play sports for a little while. And and just not to interrupt you, but we're talking about ACT, the standardized test that colleges are looking at. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about ACT here. That's right. Exactly right. (laughs) ACT could be called the SAT MVP or the study MVP or anything like that. But um, we were taking the ACT MVP and using that as our standard. So that's why we called it that. Um, We also like the idea that ACT also says act. You know, so we're we're looking at movement there. Um, So the ACT MVP goes like this. We we invite people to into a space, a study space, who normally might not be super interested in studying. That's the first big thing. We put them through this 8282 model in the way that we've designed and, and you know, we've branched out a little bit into basketball and other games that stimulate um, cardio in similar ways, but we exercise first, then we go into a condensed session of methods instead of uh, content, meaning like mathematical methods, how to approach and break down a problem. Um, and we do that for about 45 minutes to an hour. And this is like, I, this is, it's almost embarrassing to mention because we do exercise, study, and then we do it one more time. We do exercise, study, and we bracket that with uh, practice tests. Okay. So we have our, a pre, we only, we're only doing math just for sake, a couple of reasons, sake of time uh, for, on the student's part. And because that's, you know, where we're focusing on Most right now. Most people suck at math. And, and it's a tough, <laughs> and seriously, and it's a tough one for a lot of people. And, I could have used this. You could have. <laughs> I could have as well. I could. Have, I think everyone can benefit from it. That's a really exciting part. Um, so we have them take a practice test. We do these two sessions that we have them take a post test. And the data that we're finding over, you know, and we don't have a full sample set yet, but what we found so far is a 2.8 point increase on the ACT in only two sessions, which I'm telling you is like unheard of. ACT is out of 36 for people who aren't familiar with it. And I'm telling you, it is the difference between going to a college or going to like a serious, serious college. And for a lot of people on the other end of the spectrum, it's the, it's the difference between going to college and not. Or, or even just from like a psychological perspective, even feeling like you're qualified enough to go right. to college. Right. You know, there's all sorts of issues with testing. Yeah. Um, and if we can, we can give a kid uh, two points plus on their ACT and be like, dude, like it's a chance now. Right. I mean, you're talking about changing someone's life trajectory yeah. entirely. Yeah. Unlike yeah. you're even saying, it's like the, giving them the self-confidence, even if they didn't end up doing that, to, mm-hmm. to know that they could if that was, if that was what they needed to do or wanted to do. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Awesome. Confidence is a big thing. Another one last point on that is that we also, the, another reason we packaged this the way we did in terms of like this really sort of digestible model, the A282, is that we, we, we don't want you to have to go to a personal trainer to do this. If this can help you uh, in your life, you should be able to have it, right. you know, and you don't need to pay um, $1,000 a month to do so or whatever it might right. be. Or so. for study guides for mm-hmm. the ACT. Yeah. That's exactly. Um, exactly. Well, I was just thinking too about like all this stuff about, you know, enhancing mood and energy and, you know, all the um, cognitive stuff, you know, but also thinking about um, between starting that program, uh, going back to school, all these things. Uh, talk to me about you're somewhat and I'm calling you this myself an expert of time management <laughs> how do you, Thank you how are you a, and a, do you have recommendations for 
how to manage your time as a strength and conditioning coach with all of these other things. And you're presenting now and you're traveling around and we're going to talk about some of the other cool stuff that you're doing. So how yeah. do you do it? How do you keep it yeah. straight? Yeah, that's... Um I appreciate you saying that. I'll take that as a compliment because it doesn't always feel like that. So I'm not, you know, everyone feels stressed out uh, sometimes. I do feel, I, I realize that I've got a lot of irons in the fire and a lot on my plate. And the, the way I'm, I think I'm able to manage all this is because I think there's a couple methods. One is identifying the principles that transfer from one to another. Right, like uh, you, you mentioned at the beginning, staff and student wellness coordinator at a at a big high school, um, directing the Illinois Powerlifting Association and um, and the Good Athlete Project. I mean, those are three on their own, individually, fairly large entities. Yeah. But the you know, and, and if you looked at them like that, it would seem like a massive amount to break off, right? But there's so so much of all three is transferable. Right, the character staple uh, staples like permeate all of them. Uh, strength and conditioning and exercise is at least at some point. So identifying what transfers from what thing to the other, those aren't completely separate languages. You know, they're just different applications of language, and they're packaged slightly differently. Um, and I think one thing that I've gotten fairly okay at doing is something called set shifting, and that's um, that's a term I'm only you know I'm some psych I'm only recently digging into, really trying to figure out how it is that I've been kind of pulling this off and. Right. And it, but it, but it's something that I've always done, and that's uh, when you are doing the thing that you are doing, do that thing. And it's again, it sounds so straightforward, but right, right. where I, when I feel in um, least control is when I'm getting text messages and I'm uh, sending emails and I've got a kid coming in my office and I know I've got something else to do later and I still haven't written the run cards for practice, you know, whatever it might be. When it's like these this barrage of stimuli, that, like that's. Where when you try to juggle them all at once, that's very difficult, and from a neural perspective, it's impossible. I mean, you know, that might be common understanding at this point, but but you multitasking is not a thing. But it is possible to have ten things on your desk at once, and address this one. You know, make as much progress as you can. Put a cat. You find a good stopping point or complete it, and then shift to the next set of things. Right. And if you're locked in fully to that next set of things, then you have a great chance of of knocking it out. But if you're Thinking about this one while doing that one, and you know, and then I'll, you know, so it's it's um, getting good at separating those things and seeing where seeing what crosses over and seeing where divides need to happen. Um, I'm not sure I would recommend taking on as much. You know, I think this has been slowly developing, and it's been felt like a very authentic growth. I know that five years ago I wouldn't have been able to handle this, but right. with everything it's it's practice. Yeah. No, I love that. I'm glad you said that. So people that think they're good at multitasking, you're not. You're mm. not you're not you're not really multitasking. No. You're just doing a lot of things kinda halfway. Yeah, um, exactly. But you're no, probably I, operating at like thirty five percent potential right, in right. five different areas. Yeah. I like uh it's it's good to know that there's a term set shifting. I, I mean, it makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. for especially as a coach, I can do it in blocks, and then mm-hmm. I go to the next block. Do you make lists? Absolutely. That? Yeah, yeah. That's the thing I almost forgot yeah. to mention. 100. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is no, and even in a digital world, like I always have a notebook on me. Yeah. The, the act of putting something down on paper is so valuable. Um, when I am. When I have a lot to do the next day, you know, again, maybe five years ago, I would 
I would I would think about I'd like literally stay up at night thinking about it trying to get all this stuff straight in my head now I have a very simple practice I just get out of bed write down three of those things you know knowing that if I accomplish these things three things tomorrow I will have a productive day and boom and that's it and then I go and I address them in the morning yeah um it's that straightforward, but I always have lists, uh, and I always try to identify. I, MVP is a thing that keeps popping out to me, but I, like, what's the minimum viable amount of this I can knock out and really have made good strides on my project? Yeah. Um, so I definitely try to structure it that way as well. That's great. Um, this I'm just thinking of because of all the like educational stuff we're talking about and it might open a can of worms with you but is there is there a book that you'd recommend like now we're talking about this stuff if people haven't read spark i mean i recommend people read spark but is there something that one you think would benefit strength coaches to know more about in this cognitive mm-hmm. neuroscience stuff or just any other things that come come to mind that you're like you know what i really wish i had known about yeah. this yeah. Well, so, okay. So spark literally changed my life. Yeah. So I have to say spark <laughs> yeah. when I first did it, I was probably in like year three of the strength conditioning program development, <clears throat> starting to feel, I was getting right at that threshold of like, I did, I bite off more than I could chew here. Cause it was growing at the yeah. time and I didn't have any help yet. Um, so I found it at the right time, started to implement those practices into my life and like literally changed my life. And not that it's a direct correlation for everyone who picks up the book, but then, you know, three years later, I'm at Harvard, like, like knocking on John Rady's door and trying to find the experts in, in this thing in the world. Um, so literally changed my life. And what he does, yeah, I've, I've gone into the research, all the, all the people who he studied to create that book, I've gone into the actual journal articles and, and it's, it's some thick, dense, but very interesting stuff. What John does is make it very accessible right it's yeah. not um, I think anyone could read it and there'd be there's some terms I, I still have my original copy there's terms like I didn't know what acetylcholine was when I first sure. read it or sure. uh, I had familiarity with dopamine and serotonin but I didn't know exactly know what they were yeah. so you're circling and highlighting but as, as long as you're willing to do a little bit of that work I think a spark is essential reading um, what else the there, it's not in the strength world but um, self-reliance by Ralph Waldo Emerson is another book that changed my life. Uh, there's like an abridged version that has um, essentially the highlights of his most popular es- essays. And I mean, I come back to I. I mean, I quote Emerson Emerson in the weight room uh, all the time, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and I think. You know, in conjunction with my background, I think that's one of the things that makes the weight room at our place feel open and welcoming to a lot of people. That's one of the reasons we've gotten to the number of students, participants. Um, but I also think he's got some stuff that that is just spot on. One of one of his quotes, and I, I talk about this one a lot, one of his quotes is, what I must do is all that concerns me. Um, and I don't have any tattoos right now, but but I've thought about getting that yeah, one a number of times. Yeah. yeah, and I the way I do it is I break it in half after what I must do, um, because it it holds like really special meaning in my life. What I must do is all that concerns me. One way to look at it is it's that set, set shifting yeah, or prioritizing absolutely. idea. Absolutely. This thing that's in, like this is that's what I got, like my obligation is the only thing that's going to concern me now until I until I fix that problem or reach that goal or whatever it might be and there's there's moments in my life my competitive side especially where like I'm locked on to something and I'm going to get that thing and that resonates with me that quote resonates yeah, yeah. with me when I when I do that there's another way of looking at it however which kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning and that's if you break it out break the line after what I must do um 
is all that concerns me. You know, the way I've kind of lived my life to this point, at least, is like I'm not pigeonholing myself. I'm chasing all those things that concern me. Right. Right. Like, uh, like if this thing concerns me, if it like yeah. warrants my attention, then then that's something I got to do. Yeah. And I might find down the line that that it's no longer one of those things, but. Yeah. More often than not, that's not the case. Right. It's just wow, look at that, and look how it fits in this greater picture of these yeah. things I was already looking at. No, so that's pretty cool. intense. Yeah, I like it, and it does it transcends to life across board. You name it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really cool. Um, you talked about it a couple times, but um, you you also started this Illinois Powerlifting Association, right? So mm-hmm. how did that come about? And it's a little bit different than typical powerlifting, which I find interesting in the team. Um, team setting so talk about that because that's really cool and you've gotten so many kids interested in you know in powerlifting and in strength conditioning via it yeah yeah totally yeah I so we mentioned this today when we were talking I found powerlifting through football like I was only lifting to be a better football player and my numbers because of that seemed like they might be competitive so I you know I started competing on my own but I only competed on my own, right? I was playing football at Knox College. I was playing football for the Valencia Firebats in Spain, but I was competing as Jim Davis and for and something about that, the whole nature of sports that I had gotten used to, something felt kind of counter to that. Meaning like this feels similar to things I've been doing, but it doesn't feel exactly the same. And the thing that I thought I was missing was the team element. So um, the Illinois High School Powerlifting Association was started about five or six years ago. Um, with a few really important ideas. One of them was that we were only going to run team-based meets. Um, You know, you were going to compete as an individual, but for your school. So you're going to compete on behalf of your school. We're definitely drug-free, completely drug-free. And, well, the four... four, sort of character, the four staples, the, our mission statement, our values um, of the IHSPLA are character, culture, equity, and service. And, you know, all of that, all the team stuff, that kind of fits into that. But character is, like we mentioned before, from a coaching standpoint, there is such a, a clear demonstration of all of the, um, all the stuff in cognitive neuroscience and, and SEL research that supports success later in life, like delay of gratification, uh, growth mindset, all that stuff that's getting finally coming to national attention yeah. uh, can be developed in that world. Like, you should, like we said, you show up every day, you work hard, and, and you improve. Um, the culture element was we wanted to change the culture of the weight room. And we did that for a couple reasons. One of our campaigns for Good Athlete Project, which we'll probably get into, is uh, we have a hashtag girls lift. And we're like, if for no other reason, um, for no other, if, if all strength and conditioning does is support people and make them more safe on the field, then we need to make, we need to break down the barrier between female athletes and the weight room. So we are like, we're never going to run a meet that's not co-ed. We are going to change the culture. You know, we're only team-based. Never run a meet that's not co-ed. We're going to really change the way people look at this. We had, um, and they're great kids, but one of the kids at at our most recent regional, they're like slapping each other in the face because it's stuff they've seen on TV or modeled. And and we're like, we're just not going to do that. You know, get jacked up another way. Um, But, you know, so we're trying to change the culture of powerlifting a little bit. Um, the equity component is the, uh, just some very similar to the um, exercise-induced neural enhancement stuff. We want to make it super affordable to anyone who wants to participate. So for that reason, we don't have suits uh, at our meets. It's only a singlet. Um, there's, we don't even have wraps. It's pure raw powerlifting. Um, 
if you cannot afford an entry fee to a meet, then you don't pay an entry fee. You just show up and, and we cover it in other ways. But we want equity of operation. We want people to be able to show up to these things and get involved. Um, and the final component is service. So when we do raise money at these meets, and we're hopefully going to raise a lot of it on May 6th, which is actually when the Illinois State Championship is uh, going to be held. We it it goes to things that are, we're really passionate about, like Special Olympics is a huge passion of ours. Um, acknowledging other athletes, you know, in ways you know that weren't perhaps blessed in the ways that some of our guys were. We're going to give back um, mental health awareness. We're going to cut a big check to Embrace, which is a mental health awareness um, organization in Chicago. That's become a huge topic of concern for ours and I don't want to take too big of a tangent but we lost a strength coach this summer to suicide Um, so it's been really on our radar and we're pretty convinced that um, well in a couple basic ideas but one is that if you're ever part of a team and I would include a strength staff as as kind of like that but an athletic team anything like that then you should never feel like there's no one to turn to or talk to sure it's not. We want to. We want to be like. It's not soft to ask someone if he's, right. if he's okay. Right. This. Listen. Go on the field and lay somebody out the next play. Yeah. But you. But you can take care of your teammate. Yeah. You know that's okay. Um. So yeah. So those. That's how it looks a little bit different. And it's. And I'm. I'm really excited for. We have great kids showing up to all our meets. The coaches yeah. that are involved in the IHSPLA are fantastic. And yeah. it's been great so far. Yeah. No, I like that a lot. And I think. I don't think there's any. I would hope there's not many staffs out there that don't think of you know their team being a team and right. how to. Do you have any like suggestions or like ways that you promote your camaraderie or you know the ability to feel like you can be open and honest with your coworkers? Is mm-hmm. there any, anything you guys are doing along those lines? Yeah, absolutely. One is modeling it. You know, just like we said from everything, like uh, if you are open and honest with your with your, you know, your team, your strength staff, um, then they will they're more likely to be open and honest with you. If, yeah. if you want to if you try to put yourself on a pedestal, um, you know, which is like what some like CEOs do in, in primarily in what I think are bad businesses or unhealthy businesses. Um, fine but uh that's not what we're about you know so the open open dialogue has to start from the from the top down otherwise what you do is very simply put like the top on top and everyone else talks amongst themselves and that can be a toxic environment um and then we also meet we we meet socially once we try to meet socially like once per term um where we don't talk a lot about lifting but we do talk about lifting (laughs) yeah it always comes up anyway uh but but yeah, I mean, we just we we live it, yeah, right. And um, we we always encourage coaches to share with the kids too. There's different set of boundaries there, obviously, sure. but sure. Um, reflect on their own personal playing experience. Reflect on the you know the coaches and teams that were meaningful in their lives. Just keeping yeah. the dialogue open. Yeah, no, that's great tips too. I think it's and it's definitely. I think there's more. Uh, resources maybe too around mental health awareness or you know Mm -hmm. I think nowadays that people should be able to take advantage of whether they are or not you know that's another story totally um, cool well then that brings us to the third uh, full-time job that you could have that you're doing (laughs) all at the same time but this is really interesting too when I learned about it the good athlete project so Mm -hmm. tell me about tell us all about that because it's really cool thank you that's a big endorsement thank you (laughs) 
Really cool. I love. I mean, I, it feels really cool. It's um. In short, it is. Um, the Good Athlete Project aims to help people realize their potential through athletics. That's like the core. That's like the heart of this thing. It, we are uh, on paper, at least, an international education consulting foundation. We're fully nonprofit, five hundred one c three, that that goes into existing nonprofits and athletic departments and schools and essentially helps them do better business through this lens. Meaning like, are you coaching for character? You know, do your kids care about each other as much as they care about winning? And you know, all these different things. And we have, we run workshops, professional development sessions and presentations like you mentioned uh, to this end. and that's like the short sell. Yeah. The like the more comprehensive version is is that we I mean we go wherever we're needed and we're trying to strike on multiple fronts. So we you know we've been to Haiti, we're going to you know Oakland, Boston, Singapore, Southside Chicago, um, Detroit, Baltimore, Ireland. We're going literally all over the world trying to support people who might be able to utilize uh, our methods like tomorrow. Um, You know, we talked about like limiting reactivity, being thoughtful of yourself and the people around you and stuff like that. That may not seem like a big deal, but that, you know, if you go into the wrong area and think like that as, you know, some of our, like that could be literally life changing, right? right? It's not just some kid getting detention in certain situations. It's life changing. Anyway, so that, and that's like the today stuff. And we're really passionate about that. Our outreach, like when we see things stick in certain places and you see kids who teachers have been called disruptive, who've been calling disruptive their entire lives, kind of perk up and respond to you and and find your way into conversations with kids who other people can't find their way into. You're like, okay, this is meaningful stuff. We're doing that today. And we're also training leaders for tomorrow. So we have a network of college chapters where we've essentially pegged college athletes as future leaders in one way or the other you know if they're the kind of 1950s bully that's shoving people in lockers that's you know that people will look at that and they hopefully they'll also um look at the guy holding the door open for the person who's coming in next with groceries you know the same same idea they're being looked at um so we want to make sure that those future leaders are kind of living by our ideas too and that's been super successful we've got great kids who've bought into that we're at some pretty cool colleges right northwestern tufts penn university of illinois knox college you know st olaf we've got some great kids some great spots doing some great work so uh give me some examples of some of the leadership development stuff that you guys are doing yeah i think everybody is interested in whether if you're a coach then you're a leader and totally (laughs) right so if you're listening to this you're like man i want to get into this program i'd like to be a better leader right i totally i know i read a leadership book uh a month or whatever right yeah totally (laughs) no it's true i think well you mentioned you you just said it and um one of the biggest keys to leadership is listening right and and again one of the things differentiates the good athlete project is that we are heavily research-based in ways that we think is a little different. I don't know how else to say that, but differentiates us from other people who are trying to use athletics as character development. We we are too, and we applaud them. And we're trying to really go deep into the research to develop our um, our leadership strategies. So listening is number one, and the reason is you cannot go into a place and tell people what to do. The the toughest, coolest people around cannot do that. But you can go into a place with a certain sort of openness and listen to what people want and listen to what moves people and then take your own natural, you know, motivational tendencies and, and move them along that path. But but that's the key. And I think that's where a lot of things that I've seen kind of go wrong is it is very difficult. Okay, so Nutria is on the north side of Chicago in a fairly affluent area. 
um, some of the places we work with are on the almost complete opposite end of that spectrum. So the idea that like you could take one thing, okay, here's how you cultivate integrity and honesty in a population, write that down and just pass it on to the next group is kind of a silly one. So our leadership training, all it's what we call character by design, and we go in and we run a design think workshop with uh, to identify character staples, yeah. and that always begins with asking people to be very explicit, open, and honest about what their goals are. So I don't think you can, you know, you can tell a kid whatever you want, or or um, or a coworker, or whatever it means. But if but if it doesn't align with their goals. And sometimes that means helping them figure out what their goals are. Yeah. Then, then it's not going to go very far. Right. You know, the the this worked for me story yeah. only goes so far. Usually those are compelling. Sure. But it's like that's fine. But I don't want to be. Yeah. You know, I don't want to climb Mount Everest. Why am I listening right. to your right. success story? Right. Yeah. Can you help me get out of debt? Can you help yeah. me? You know, like get a new job or whatever it might be. Yeah. What's pulling and motivating those people? And then you can work into. Then you uh, add your own natural leadership tendencies and help them illustrate the processes that, that can really make them successful. That's cool. In our job, it's easy to be honest because it usually starts with we want to win a championship of some sort. Yeah. So then we have to, you know, break it down to how it's done. Right. Tying it back, the mm-hmm. the design workshop uh, is pretty interesting. I just was talking to someone the other day who mentioned it too. Mm. Um, talk about how what you're referring to when you talk about that and how yeah. it's done because I think there could be a lot of application in what we do with that type of thinking. Totally. Um, so I think I first did it. Um, in a college classroom, we were trying to solve some big problem. Sure. And it's essentially uninhibited crowdsourcing of ideas, if you want to like think of it that way. So what, what we, the way we do it is, is we usually start with a share out and we lead a discussion in a certain direction, but then ultimately we pass out post-its and we give a topic and we, uh, and we just say, it's like a brain dump, right? It's like, yeah. you just write, like, listen, no one's gonna read this, you don't have to share it if you don't want to, but write and post, write and post, write and post, write and post. How do we solve this problem? And then just collect as many uninhibited ideas as possible and then we filter through and usually mix and match with um, subsequent similar exercises to come up with a solution. Yeah. But the way it works for character by design is, we identify site-specific resources. Um, we had, well, actually, let me back up one. We identify the strengths of the people in the room. So that's one of the first things we do. It also goes back to empowerment. It's like, just write down things you're good at. Yeah. And you'd be amazed what comes out. Some Sometimes super simple. Some of it's like hitting deadlines. I'm good at, I can turn my homework in on time. Yeah. There's, there's amazing value in that. Yeah. Sometimes it's coming up with ideas that no one else can think of. <laughs> also value in that. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, and I'm not kidding, this happened on a college campus, knitting. Like, okay, well, we don't know how that's going to apply exactly to what we're doing, but but this we're is exactly what we're looking over for. There somewhere. Yeah. It's in there, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and we identify the strengths of the people in the room. Yeah. Then we identify um, local resources, and those could be people, those could be uh, facilities, that could be anything. And one of the big things that we do, and then we try to match them. So I guess a, a really explicit version of like how we do this character by design stuff is that would that be fruitful? Yeah. Should I? Okay. Yeah. So I'll, let me get, I'll give a hypothetical of a branch of this. Yeah. So we go into a population. We say like, what do you want? That group says we want to win a championship um, in soccer. Um, okay. So we start breaking that into lower level goals. 
And it's like, okay, so what are some of the things that are going to allow us to win a championship? Okay, win every game or win more games than not or whatever it might be. Beat the biggest rival, win regionals to get on to the next, whatever it might be. And then you build down even further and you say, okay, so what's going to help us win regionals? Uh, or who's going to help us beat like whoever the, the big yeah. the person that's been getting in our way every year? Uh, and what we'll get things like, just as an example, we want to out-practice them. Outlift, outrun, whatever it might be, outpractice them. Okay, then we break down one more. So, and I'm, I don't know, people obviously can't see this if they're listening, but I'm drawing this out. Uh, so, you know, what's the component of outpracticing people? Well, we might have to have a better off season than anyone yeah. if we want to outpractice people to beat these people to be a champion, you know, as it builds back until we get down to these really actionable things. So, uh, off season, and then what, what are the components of the off season? We want to out, you know, we want to 100% consistently or recover well from our workouts. That's a big and interesting one, actually. Yeah. And then ultimately, yeah. we get down to sleep. And then this is when like the real magic of the whole thing happens. It's like, what's getting in the way of us getting sleep? And we had a kid who one of the, it was one of the funnier examples. He was like, uh, what's getting in the way of your sleep? And he's like, I love chocolate. That's it. Like after dinner, I will just like, I, no one can stop me. I'll just like eat chocolate until there's none left. And it always makes me stay up later. And then you can see the trickle down effect back up into here. Um, some people with screens, that's actually a really big one. So we get down to these actionable behaviors until we've got this lower level set of very actionable behaviors. One of them might be turn off your phones after nine o'clock, no screens after nine o'clock, and then we work back up the ladder. No screens after nine so that we can sleep better, so that we can recover from our workouts because we want to have the best off season ever because we want to out-practice our opponent so we can beat this team so that we can ultimately win a championship. It's a long and very like logical build, but that's why we do this in these sessions because what we come out of it with are just 10 really easy things that they have done the good work for, that they've made explicit it that leads back into their goal um so that's like where the easy behavior change love it comes from love it yeah it's just like breaking down goal setting and and having a plan at its finest i think i think so i think so (laughs) and then uh and then yeah and then the design element is uh sometimes we go through strategies to really make those effective but yeah yeah no i um it is probably a hard thing to illustrate purely via voice, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah. but it's been great. Cool. Well, we'll definitely plug it later so people can come check it out. Um, Perfect. All right, kind of wrapping it up with my uh, three go-to questions that people who have listened in on the podcast know that we listen that we ask every time. Uh, a little bit different, a little bit off the beaten path, if you will, but uh, I think it, you know it gives a little lens a little more, you know, gets people to know a little bit more about what, how you think, and also maybe gets them to think about some other things they might not think about. So if you had a magic wand and could eliminate any coaching practice, what would it be? Okay. So I, this is, I just wrote an article on this and we talked about this a little bit. It's a, it, there's some really cool research coming out on the pre-neural pathways to motivation that essentially say, for some people, it's a literal longer road to get to that excited state. Um, so the thing that bothers me, so eliminate one coaching practice. I hate when people say, uh, if you're not feeling this, you gotta check your pulse. Because I think, you know, aligning with all the growth mindset research, if someone goes to the wrong, if someone goes left and they should have gone right, you can jump on them because yeah. then next time they'll go right. right. But I don't think you can jump on a kid for not feeling something. That is yeah. a very hard thing yeah. to coach for. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, how do you cope? So um, that's a tough one for me. Yeah. And that aligns with some other things, some other in motivational videos that uh, bother me too, but right. that might be right, right, too, right. too long of a road to go down. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes total sense. Everybody's individualized, right? So mm-hmm. like the same rah-rah speech or the something that got you jazzed up might not work for me. Uh, makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. I love it. Well, and, and, yeah. and people use that in rivalry games. Right. I'm like, what right, if I have right. no understanding of the rivalry? Right. I what this if I so have clear. no context for yeah. why this rivalry? You want to give, yeah. <laughs> give kids things that they can work on and yeah. fix, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, feeling is yeah. a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's another, like probably misunderstood term in the coaching world, right? Mm-hmm. Feeling like, right. Yeah. Right. That's tough. <laughs> we'll get off on another social psych tangent here if we're not careful. I don't um, mind that. <laughs> yeah. How about your task with starting a new strength conditioning program? Um, you got a limited budget, so you can only have uh, three. And I said things or items. I lim- It's very uh, abstract. You can have three, mm-hmm. whatever. What are you going to need to start that program? So, I mean, if I say a squat rack, will it come with weights? Sure. We'll give you that. For we'll this one? Okay. So you don't have to utilize <laughs> okay, all three you. on that. I, I, I think that, I think a squat rack with weights, because I can do, you can do anything in there, right? Yeah, you you sure. can use a squat rack, not just for squats. For Is that sure. true? Right. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, then I would start with a squat rack and weights. Um, I'm assuming is space a concern or can I have as much space as I probably or do I have be, to name space that'd be something you'd want yeah okay I'm gonna say a squat rack with weights space and another really talented like a coach that I really trust that'd be it yeah I would love to say three coaches right right but yeah. because you could do anything but yeah, but yeah. you'd be limited to just body weight movement yeah. so yeah no, that's good cool and then kind of my final one um Name three or up to three, uh, either living, dead, or fictional characters that you'd like to either have dinner or, or strike up some conversation with, and why. <laughs> this is uh, I, this is a hard. This is such a hard one. I'm so bad at these questions. I would say because we talked about him, Emerson's got to be one. Yeah. I like reading his stuff so much that I assume I would like talking to him as well. So that's that's. I'll take that one. Um, let's see. You know, maybe George Hallis. George Hallis, for no other reason than like, uh, I mean, I'm a Chicago guy, and I appreciate all things Chicago, but I, but I have a real intense passion for um, people who like get things off the ground, especially in the sports world. So he was there when there wasn't like the bright lights of the NFL, when it was a far different thing, and there weren't billions on the line. Um, so I. I'd probably be interested in hearing what he has to say. And I'd be super interested in hearing what he, he thinks about the current state of Chicago Bears and how they're being <laughs> run. Um, and then one more. That's so hard. Oh, it can be fictional. Could be fictional, dead, living. You know. Great Gatsby. Oh, yeah. No question. <laughs> no question. Or Okay, so this is, this is so lame. But either Great Gatsby or Holden Caulfield. Those are two books that I think I kind of read when I was in high school yeah. that I found again when I uh, was an adult and uh, identified more I think in like my early mid-twenties for sure than I did sure. the first time around different read when you're a little older totally <laughs> I agree totally um, cool well 
we, we mentioned a few things, um, again, of the projects you're involved with. How can people find out more about those projects or reach out to you uh, if they're interested in what they've heard today? Yeah. Um, well, I think, so we're, we're pretty present on Twitter and Instagram now. Uh, the two big ones are at Coach for Kindness, and that's Coach number four, Kindness. Um, that's the Good Athlete Project. And at NT Strength is our home base for um, nutrition strength and conditioning. And from either of those, you can find your way to the Illinois High School Powerlifting Association and a number of the other projects we're working on. Awesome. You got any speaking gigs coming up anytime soon that people might catch you at? That's a, you know, I've got uh, Nutrier is actually hosting a wellness week. So I've got like okay. six different presentations that I'm working on right now, which <laughs> wow. are, it's pretty great. Yeah. Um, so if anyone's in the greater Chicago area, uh, let's see, what is that? The back end of next week, I believe it's, is the 23rd Sunday? I think it yeah. is. Yep. So then uh, I think it's the 26th through the end of the week. I've got one, at least one every day. Okay, cool. So, yeah. Well, yeah, we're definitely some of this stuff uh, with this, you know, cognitive stuff has been very interesting. So hopefully we'll see you at an NSCA conference soon. I hope to be there. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Scott. You guys are out with you. Yeah, absolutely. You guys are doing great things here. We've had a blast today. So thanks, a lot. thanks for having us. Okay. This was the NSCA's coaching podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.